You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole. I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me as she is pretty much every single week here in the 602 Club, the one, the only, the redheaded Christy Morris. Yes, newly redheaded, actually not inspired by Wanda Maximoff, uh, just something I wanted to try, but here I am. <laughs> nice. I, it could be Wanda. It could be, you know, Black Widow. There's a lot of famous redheads out mm-hmm. there in, you know, sci-fi. Uh, you know, heck, uh, Karen Gillan, you know, from Mary Jane. Doctor Who, Mary Jane. I mean, gosh, they're, it feels like redheads is a favorite for like comic properties and their girlfriends, you know? So, right. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about WandaVision this week. That show is just finished. Uh, you know, uh, Marvel is hitting the ground running now with their shows on Disney+. Plus. Uh, in fact, uh, we'll have in just a couple weeks, starting off as well, uh, be coming out uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. So, I mean, they're, they're really starting to, yeah, pump out the shows at this point. So... But before we get there, um, remember, of course, you could find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please, please do make sure that you are subscribed uh, so you get the show as soon as it drops, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. If you happen to get your podcast over on Apple Podcasts, please do give us a star rating and review. That really does help the show grow. It helps more people find the show, helps us in the rankings there, which is still very important for podcasts. Um, Also, uh, you could find us on Twitter and follow us over there at Trek FM. And we're running a contest right now. So if you follow us on Twitter and you're a USA listener, uh, you'll be entered to win a brand new copy that's going to be coming out of the 4K edition of the remastered version of Batman v Superman, which is pretty exciting. Uh, they've mm-hmm. gone in and done some color correction. And then Zack Snyder uh, re inserted all of the IMAX footage that he used. So it's all in IMAX format. Uh, So that'll be really cool. We'd love to give away a free copy of that to you. So again, make sure you're following us on social media there on Twitter. You also want to make sure that uh, you're following us on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trackfm with the entire network. And of course, there's the listeners only discussion group you can find called the Babel Conference. And... You can find us on track.fm, the website. You can go over to the contact section, send Christy and I an email if you'd like. And last but not least, I want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah. I really do appreciate them uh, helping us out uh, over there and making sure that the network keeps coming to you each and every week here on Track FM. It is an expensive enterprise to put all this together, and we definitely need your help. So, again, go to patreon.com slash trackfm, see how you can be part of the team. Uh, every little bit helps. Um, and again, that's patreon.com slash trackfm. 
So, Christy, um, before mm-hmm. we got into anything with the show, obviously, uh, Marvel is not new to television uh, because Marvel not only had um, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that was on ABC, uh, but we've also had Marvel shows that were on Netflix. So they had the Defenders characters on there. Yes. Um, you know, we've had other characters elsewhere. I think the Runaways on Hulu. We've mm-hmm. had Legion on... Uh, I think that might have been FX. So, I mean, so we've had Marvel television shows before, but this is the first show from Disney Plus. And so I just wanted to ask you as we were heading into this, you know, where your excitement level was for WandaVision. So I was hugely excited about this because I think two things it really had going for it were keeping the casting the same, especially with the timeline picking up right after Endgame, I think that it would have been a terrible disservice to it and made everyone not as excited to not have the same cast playing Wanda Mm -hmm. and Vision and some of the others then revisiting um, like Kat Dennings. So I think that the casting was a big part of it. And then also just knowing that um, it was going to be set in that same timeline I was excited to see mm-hmm. what else they were going to do after Endgame. Sure. No, I could definitely understand that. And I think, you know, it it obviously not have worked whatsoever if they had tried to do some sort of recasting thing. I just don't mm-hmm. think that would have worked. And, you know, obviously we can see, you know, after especially The Mandalorian, Disney's big enough to get these big stars to come in and do these these type of things. So that's that is great. That's a huge plus for the show. Um, you know, Paul Bettany is fantastic, you know, loved mm-hmm. him since uh, Knight's Tale, you know, and, you know, Elizabeth Olsen is is fantastic as well. And, of course, enjoyed her Scarlet Witch so far. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I would say coming into this, it wasn't so much excitement as is more I was intrigued, you know, because mm-hmm. the uh, show seems so weird looking you know like it seems so off the wall by them going with this kind of uh and i like to call it the hook which Mm -hmm. is that they were going with this sitcom angle so we were going to use things like the dick van dyke show and bewitched and the brady bunch and family ties and modern family all as kind of the basis for this very strange thing called wandavision and so i think the first place that I'm really interested to dive into the show with you was to talk about this hook, you know, of using these, uh, you know, classic sitcom ideas. How how did that work for you as a basis for her family life here in, I guess, the hex or, you know, and just the basically the bubble that she created for herself? Right. Yeah. I think at first, obviously, because they do the slow burn of releasing those big plot developments to you, um, it was hard to get into because it felt initially in episodes one and two kind of more like a um, just blatant repeat of mm. things like Bewitched uh, because we weren't really getting a lot of new information other than here's Wanda and here's Vision and they're set in the same time period and wearing these clothes and everything's in black and white. But it started to get more interesting toward the end of the second episode when they were introducing pops of color to draw your attention to something and then slowly moving into everything becoming in full color. But I think it was perfect for the fact of 
marketing the show in the first place, you know, kind of playing off the, um, the thing with Technicolor and television and whatever, and then blending their names together and everything. It just came into place so well that way. Um, but then the more that you get into the show, you understand why it's set in each decade or following the tropes of each one of those famous shows. Yeah, this is such an interesting thing for me because obviously for myself, you know, I'm I'm in my 40s. And, you know, when I grew up, uh, Nick at Night was all of these shows, right? Like, and, and in fact, mm-hmm. it was older shows. It was like Dick Van Dyke and, um, you know, the Donna Reed show, Father Knows Best, you know, and stuff like that. So, uh, and, you know, I grew up watching uh, Bewitched or I Dream of Jeannie, those kind of things, the Brady Bunch, mm-hmm. some uh, Family Ties a little bit. And, you know, I, honestly, I've never really seen Modern Family all that much. Uh, so, but I know the setup of the show, you know, I've, I've seen enough of it to kind of know how they do things. But so what I found really interesting about this is that all the people who kind of grew up with the Marvel films are too young to know what most of these shows are and have any appreciation for what they're doing, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, as I watched through the series, I really felt like, they kind of fell in love with a concept and they it ran away from them. Like, I, mm. I didn't really necessarily feel like the concept of the sitcom angle truly works. Um, and you pointed out exactly why I think it doesn't work as well as it could. It's because they're so enamored with their own concept that you spend really two full episodes... I remember watching those first two episodes um, and thinking, this is it? Right. There was no no reveals yet. Yeah, there was nothing in the show. So and and then once we start to get into it again, I feel like they're kind of so enamored many times with their own hook that they are not progressing the show as quickly as they should. Mm -hmm. So, um. It's a, I think it's an ingenious hook in the sense that it captures the imaginations for people that are my age, your age, and and definitely older, obviously. But I would be really interested and fascinated to see how well this actually works for people who were like in their 20s or younger. Because again, half the show, they won't get any of these references. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, Modern Family is the only one they're going to get. So it it it's it was a to me it's a very strange thing to spend so much time on in the show instead of spending more of the time in in all of the things that kind of connect this to the marvel universe which are all the things that people actually do know right mm-hmm. so um now one of the things that i thought was interesting with this hook was that we do learn that the reason that Wanda has this in her brain is that her family's uh, experience the the best experience of her lives uh, of her life with her family was those times sat around the television in Sarkovia 
watching these old American shows together, right. um, learning English together. They were, you could tell they're probably planning on trying to move to America. And so the, their reason for having, you know, these DVDs and watching these old shows was to help them learn English. And so for her brain to kind of create this kind of quote unquote perfect world, it tumbles out as basically uh, playing out the Dick Van Dyke show or Bewitched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was a good way to tie it together and give a purpose for doing the show in that format, especially for so long. Um, but I do agree with what you're saying that they just don't then give you enough information about the plot line to keep you hooked as much in the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, it does end yeah. up making sense later why the world is designed the way it is in her mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, and you're absolutely right in, in the sense that they do bring it together to kind of help you explain that. And so I I just think it is interesting that even, you know, throughout the first five episodes, really, um, again, we're so enamored with this idea of like uh, what we're doing that we we're losing the importance of telling whatever story it is, you know, that we're trying mm-hmm. to tell, especially with the characters, because I, I you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I feel like, and I don't know if you feel this way, so I'll be really interested, but I do feel like this show could have been at least three to four episodes shorter and been all the better for it. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, especially like I said, like I'm definitely cutting out the first two for me would be fine and you could have yeah. picked up but yeah because i it just in in all honesty i feel like if you had moved quicker through the timelines to kind of get to what's really important in the show which is what's going on with wanda and why this is all happening in the first place i think mm-hmm. it just would have played better so maybe having slightly longer episodes but allow you to transverse transverse time periods one two or three times within an episode would also i think have accentuated the mystery is like why is this show like what is going on with her what you know i i think that would even created more urgency of figuring out something's not quite right here which we already know right like right it's not a surprise to anybody that there's something wrong with wanda and this whole mm-hmm. situation because we know what happened in any game but I like, too, that they remind you through Kat Dennings reappearing. Sure. When she says in character, Vision died. Not right. like he got taken in the snap and he's going to reappear someday. He was murdered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he's gone. <laughs> so the fact that he seems alive and well suddenly in this world is uh, not right. Something's up. <laughs> right. Yeah, something's not right here. Um so I do have a question about that then, that uh, because you brought it up, mm-hmm. you know, they do remind us of the things that happened in the previous Marvel films. But one of the things that I found in this show that I think is a huge detriment to the show is the fact that if you have not watched every Marvel movie, you don't really get this show. Like That's you a good have point. to have spent and been invested in every single thing that Marvel's put out, film-wise at least, to be able to get this show. And to me, that's a detriment to any show to have to have invested, you know, twenty-five 
movies worth or whatever of of understanding bef- before you could actually really truly enjoy a show. And I mean, part of me gives them benefit of a doubt, like maybe they were leaning into that mystery so that it makes people then want to go back and learn more. Um, but I do agree with you from, you know, the aspect of the general public is not going to go on that search. So if they haven't seen every single movie, for example, if they haven't seen the Thor movies, the standalone movies, you know, that they don't know who Kat Dennings is unless they've Mm -hmm. seen some more of, you know, the, the Avengers stuff where she does appear. Um, Right. You know, and then there's a bunch of characters that don't appear in this one and they wouldn't know why. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you would obviously have had to seen Captain Marvel. Like you said, you would have had to seen the Thor movies. You would have to know all of the Avengers movies. I mean, you know, so um, and again, this is one of those like having the entire scope of the Marvel Universe in your mind helps. Even having some of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in your mind helps, you know, because kind of knowing where swords, uh, you know, um history lies in the sense that you know it kind of comes out of agents of shield um and all of that really helps understanding so Mm -hmm. uh, to me it was very interesting to to do that because and i'll just ask you like did you feel like and you're a star wars fan but you did you feel like somebody would have had to have seen say all of star wars to enjoy the mandalorian first season no I don't, because I think that they bring you in with the preconceived notion that this is something new, even though it's, you know, set in the Star Wars universe, that it's going to do its own thing and maybe do some tie-ins. And so I I think that that really benefited Mandalorian, where this show, I feel like they just should have Mm -hmm. planned a little better. Hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, that it was just something that really struck me by the show. I was like, man, I would be totally lost with all of this if I had not, you know, spent all that time in the Marvel Universe. And so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it, it just seemed like something that if you're making a show, you want to make it more accessible, especially on Disney+. Plus. Yes, all the Marvel's movies there. People can go back and watch them and everything. But I do feel like accessibility is hurt. And I know, you know, the Marvel Universe has leaned into the fact that people have all seen it. But it does still feel like they leaned into that a little bit too much. Um, yeah. For me. It's basically and, and choosing. That's Sorry, I was just going to say, it's basically they have to choose between are they going to do fan service mm-hmm. to the people that have been there from the beginning, or are they going to do it as its own thing? And right. so they chose to pick up at the end game timeline that immediately gave them that problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and and I think uh, the reason I kind of asked you about The Mandalorian is the first season of The Mandalorian doesn't really lean into anything that you would have needed to really know beforehand, right? Right. You know, um, it's it's not until that very last episode on season one where it brings you into something which is, oh, the Darksaber. Well, that's interesting. And even if you don't know what that is, you're kind of intrigued. Oh, that's cool. I've never seen a lightsaber that looks like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know the backstory, it's great. But if you don't, it, it doesn't kill anything for you. Whereas this, again, like you do need all that history with these characters to really have this make sense. And so, 
Yeah, it was just something that I was really surprised about, just how much they lean into everything in that way. And so now we do get some new characters uh, in this movie. And, and one of them is a character we've known as a child, which comes from uh, Captain Marvel with Monica Rambeau. And she's back here as an adult. And this is a way not only of reintroducing her character to the Marvel Universe as a grown-up, but also introducing her as somebody who is discovering that she has her own powers, um, mm-hmm. which are kind of activated by her going through the hex twice. And so I just kind of wondered, especially with her, um, what you thought of the performance and just kind of her as a character here in the show that we really spend quite a bit of time with, as you know, Next to, obviously, um, Wanda and Vision. I thought she was great. Just even as a character, um, I was fascinated just by the name initially and didn't remember that she was in Captain Marvel as a child or even was aware of her character in the comics. So uh, then I looked it up and I said, ah, that's who they're going to bring in. And so I learned that there is this character in the comics that came first, that's Monica Rambeau, and, you know, that her mother um, was part of S.W.O.R.D., and that she, uh, Monica, ends up getting powers similar to Captain Marvel, but some things are a little bit different. Um, And so I was excited to see how they were going to use her in the show at that point. Um, But she's got some really cool powers that, like I said, like make her different from Captain Marvel, like her um, intangibility caught me more mm-hmm. than anything. <laughs> she can become like a field of energy. Yeah, I mean, I would say I thought it was interesting, uh, her character. I like the actress. Teona Paris mm-hmm. is, is, I think, an excellent actress. She does a great job in the role, which I liked. Um, I think that the one of the and it's not about her, but it's just about the series in general, is that we were so scattershot with characters and with things going on that I just felt like we were introducing too many things and at the same time taking too long with things. So it's this weird combination of... of like, I'm not quite sure what's supposed to truly be important in the show. Are we using this show to introduce new characters like and, and, and new superheroes like Monica Rambo? Obviously, she is her own superhero now. And, and uh, or is this show, you know, about what's going on with Wanda and Vision? And it, it didn't really seem to connect as well as I would have liked everything to connect and it has nothing to do with the actress. Again, I thought she was great. I thought um, I enjoyed her interactions with, you know, um, Randall Park as Jimmy Woo. Um, you know, I, I thought those mm-hmm. were really fun and everything. But it almost felt like they took two show ideas and kind of crammed them together with her and her character and everything. Um, mm. other, other than it feeling like super organic to me. And, and that's just you know, how I felt kind of watching the show is like, I'm not really sure what the show is trying to tell me is truly important here. Is it Monica Rambo's story and her becoming this kind of superhero? Or is that what's going on with Vision and... 
I can I I can kind of understand that because there were scenes where it was it felt awkward or um you know like the show is supposed to be about Wanda and her you know surviving grief and then I feel like they also kind of like you were saying with the hook got too into their own Kool-Aid. I think that they really wanted to find a way, <laughs> right? Uh, they really wanted to find a way to jumpstart getting Photon in the universe more as well and decided to start with it here and maybe they didn't need to. Um, hmm. But there were a lot of scenes that I still really enjoyed. A, just this actress and then B, getting to have somebody come in that could, you know, stand up to Wanda a little more um, power-wise and say, what are you doing to yourself? Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't be the bad guy. Think about the consequences of your actions. So that right. those things I really liked. Well, and I, the one thing that I would say that they never do a really good job of is kind of connecting why this should work, which is that Monica is somebody who, who would understand the desire to bring back a dead parent. Mm -hmm. And they never make the connection strong enough between those two in that yeah, way. Yeah, I don't think they even mention it till the end. Yeah. And so. so I think it's a disservice to both of the characters that you're not connecting them on this level better. And yeah. so I understand why you want the character to be there. But then I feel like, again, you're so focused on all these other things. And this is, should really be this really small kind of character driven show and not this big thing where we're throwing all this Marvel, quote unquote, stuff at you, you know, like a new superhero and photon and, and, and sword and all this stuff. It's like you are making it overly complicated and in that way, diluting the story that you're trying to tell, I think. So, um, yeah. and I think, you know, that's where, as much as I loved Randall Park and I thought he was fun as a character, as Jimmy Woo in the show, and, you know, the fact that he's a former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent is interesting and everything, you know, um, he's just kind of an accessory in the show. You know, rather than being anybody who's really pivotal to anything actually happening. And I think that's a disservice to him and the character and what he could be. It's like, honestly, he should be in his own show called Sword. Um, totally. You know, leading that show. Then, you know, crammed, again, crammed into this show. And so um, it was just disappointing because I feel like I like him. I really do. I, I thought he was funny. I thought he was clever. Uh, I thought that the character was interesting and, again, could be something that would work in a S.H.I.E.L.D.-like show. But here, he was just, he's not given enough, I feel like, to really do to legitimize him having so much screen time. Yeah, I feel like most of the time in this show, he ends up being the guy delivering the punchline. and. Yeah. He's do he does not get character development, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it, which is sad because Randall Park is adorable in this role. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, um, remember him from Ant-Man and uh, he yeah. just yep. he, he could have been given so much more. So, yes. yeah, I definitely agree on that. Yep. He was definitely just a, um, a cameo. 
when he could have yeah, been. Yeah, absolutely. And again, and this is one of those places too. Like if you haven't seen the Ant-Man movies, you're going to be lost as to like why you should care about this character in the first place, you know, because mm-hmm. they just introduce him like you should know him. And right. so I think that's a, a, again, it's just kind of a disservice to the character, but the show in general. And, and I think, you know, that's another thing like, Look, I do understand, and I know people who can't stand the Darcy character. Um, I can't stand the Thor movies, but I like the Darcy character. She was the only redeeming part of those films for me in any way, mm-hmm. shape, and form. I thought she's funny and and all that stuff. But, but I will say here in this show, the more she was used, the less I liked her. Um, because again, mm. she just became this person who's usually delivering punchlines and instead of having kind of any emotional weight to her being there, or, you know, like she helps them kind of figure some things out, but then after a while she's, she's just there instead of really mm-hmm. being integral to the plot. And so it just kind of felt like another place where you're throwing somebody into the story that you're not utilizing to their full potential. Well, and at, there was something that um, my husband pointed out to me that was an inconsistency even with her character and that it was previously in the Thor movies, she didn't have a doctorate. And so then now suddenly they've made her character way more educated than she was before. Like they make a point of stating it. And so we were both just kind of confused (laughs) because it was like before she like made sure to mention in the movie that she didn't have a doctorate Mm -hmm. or she wasn't a, um, Oh gosh, what was it? Uh, physicist or something like that. And then Mm -hmm. now suddenly she is, I guess they're saying in that time period, she's finished her degree and gotten further educated, but that kind of threw me off. Um, yeah. I was glad to yeah. see her back, but yeah, it's same kind of treatment with her as it is with Jimmy Woo's character. Um it it was more just the joke here and there and then she was the catalyst for getting the bad guy caught in the end that kept trying to manipulate mm-hmm. Wanda. Right. Well, and I think that's an interesting thing about Marvel just in general and and something that has has not always been my favorite thing about Marvel, which is this predilection to always go for the joke instead of continue in the serious vein. And this mm-hmm. is a show that I think the subject matter is one that is much more serious. And we'll talk about kind of that theme in a little bit. But um, yeah, to to use her just to make, you know, clever jokes all the time or maybe not so clever jokes as they were sometimes is, again, I think it's a disservice to the character and what she could do. And yeah, so you have this character who, you know, started out as a, you know, um, political science major, you know, and has become somebody who is, you know, assisting Jane Foster and, and then apparently has gone on to get her doctorate and everything and she's really smart. And yet you relegate her to a joke machine Okay, well, I don't really find that as a as a way to really empower women personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a guy, I'm like, give her something more substantial to do in in the story. Give her some more heft and weight in the series. So, 
Now, the two redeeming things for me with her that made it a little bit better than the uh, Randall Park situation was that she was the person that mentioned Monica Rambo having gone through the divide more than once mm-hmm. and that it changed her on a molecular level permanently. Mm-hmm. So that was a good piece for her to reveal. And then also that um, she named Wanda's confined area the Hex, but it made sense mm-hmm. with Wanda being a witch and then also right. with it being a hexagonal shape. So, I mean, even though it was meant to be a joke, I actually thought it was pretty intelligent. Yeah. No, I mean, and again, those are the places where I think that she is utilized better because she's mm-hmm. being utilized for her smarts, you know. Right. Um, and Give her, her some credit. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, you know, we we have the character of Tyler Hayward introduced here as the leader of S.W.O.R.D., their director, and this this whole idea that basically his whole goal in this is to create a new vision. You know, vision is kind of the ultimate weapon who is made out of vibranium um, and almost indestructible, really. Um, and that, that that's kind of his goal. And I, I would have liked, I think, his character more if I felt like the rest of what was going on outside the hex was a little more um, integrated, but also maybe we had even spent less time there almost so that Mm -hmm. we could really be involved in the emotional weight of what's happening with Wanda and Vision and what's going on there and them trying to figure that out. Um, I do feel like he, you know, this whole thing becomes, I feel like, about bringing Vision back in many ways. Like, we're setting that up is that the Vision will be back in sh- some way, shape, and form, which mm-hmm. I would say in all comic book movies is, especially in the Marvel Universe, it feels like we can never leave anybody dead. Like, we have to bring everyone back from the dead. Um, and it's getting a little bit old. You know, I didn't they Vision do that in sacrifice- DC too? What? So didn't they do that in DC too? Well, look, comic comics are always full of people coming back from the dead, you know? Yeah. Um, and so absolutely all, all the universes have done it in the comic series. But I feel like for the Marvel Cinematic Universe and any cinematic universe, I do feel like it's better if you're going to have a character die to allow that emotional weight to carry on, right? Right. Yeah, and don't just so bring like, them back a million times. Right, exactly. You know, so the sacrifice that Vision makes, the tragicness of that is kind of what drives this whole show. And mm-hmm. so bringing him back through Tyler Haywood's character and him working on bringing Vision back and then, of course, him being back by the end of the show, it just, it's like, okay, well, I guess it really, everything that Wanda just went through is almost a moot point, you know? Like, if her love is, is truly going to be back in, in that way, it's like, I, everything I just watched, like, she didn't really have to go through if they had just gotten, you know? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it, part of it just leaves you kind of frustrated. At least it did me. 
Yeah, I, I get that. And, I, you know, I think that I definitely want to say Tyler Hayward's character, his goals were not at all clear to me through the show. Thank you. Thank you. I had to read about it later online to figure out what his goal was. So I think that he in the show was kind of unnecessary other than playing that like police chief, give me your badge and your gun kind of guy. Um, so I, I do wish that if they were going to use him as much as they did, that they gave some more behind the scenes. Um, I would say within the show still, but like a scene of him on his own talking about his plan, something to show you about, you know, why he's there. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that, I don't think that having Vision back would necessarily make her experience a moot point because it's still about she's also lost her her twin brother and both their Mm -hmm. parents at a young age. Um, But I definitely think that ultimately it should have been he would stay dead. Mm -hmm. Um, But having him present in the show in her mind Mm -hmm. kind of thing was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it, I agree with that. It, it just feels like it, again, I think this is where it's kind of coming from earlier. It's like this show needed a whole rewrite uh, and it needed to be, to find a way to really uh, focus on the core aspects of the show rather than kind of playing around for so long and then kind of getting to the point, you know, it's like mm-hmm. find a way to get to the point sooner so we can then explore that point more fully and so because you know that's one of the things that i was i i have to say in all honesty i was super disappointed in the way that they bring evan peters back um because i thought it was going to have much more resonance than it actually did the fact that it just becomes uh almost this joke because i was like oh well it'd be kind of cool if this is one of the ways that they kind of introduce the multiverse you know and have the x-men start to kind of find their way into the marvel universe Mm -hmm. but no it doesn't mean any of that it's just them using him as a character that was this dude in westville that agatha harkness was using like it was like well that's that's really disappointing so it, well, and at first for me, even, and I can imagine some other people too who may not know as much about it as I have, but um, having that actor playing, you know, the replacement of Aaron Taylor Johnson's version of the character confused me at first because I was like, wait, what show am I watching here? <laughs> because I understand, obviously, like they were playing the same character at different points, but. It's still, I was completely thrown off. Right. By well, I mean, yeah, he's what in a completely he was supposed to be universe, doing. Honestly, so. Right. So, yeah. Uh, I can imagine other people might have also been confused as to why that casting choice was made for that. Well, and everybody just got excited about it, right? Like, that, mm-hmm. thinking that it was really going to mean something, and that it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. And I think Don't that build was it up to in the I... dialogue as much as you do, and then not have it mean mm-hmm. something. Because, yeah. you know, they have Darcy Lewis shout out at one point, wait, she recast her brother? Right. So you think that it is building up to be more than that. Right. Like, again, like a multiverse thing, you know? Yep. Um, 
So And like he's yeah. such a good actor, it sucks for him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it would have been so much more interesting um mm-hmm. to have that if you're really going to play around with the Marvel universe, do that, you know. So Yeah. So um it's actually Agatha uh not Agnes. And so, I mean, I know you're a much bigger Marvel fan. You've read a lot more Marvel than I have. And so I'm wondering uh, what you thought of that whole thing of, you know, that she's this witch from, you know, 1693 who can steal magic. And this whole thing has been about her, you, you know, using this opportunity to try and figure out, you know, who Wanda Maximoff is. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't know. What, what did you think of all that? So I, I thought that that was fascinating, actually, because a um, in my certain areas that I'm kind of a history buff in real life, that's something that I thought was really cool when I actually visited Salem, Massachusetts and got to learn about the Salem witch trials and all of that stuff. Um, but then also reading about Agatha as a character after seeing that episode where they reveal who she is, um, she's actually in the comics which I had not read about that piece um, yet. And so she's a, a villain against Scarlet Witch in the Marvel comics. Um, and I like having her appear in the show and doing it this way, because I think you need somebody who has the level of power that Wanda has to come in and challenge her. Because up until this point through the whole show, Wanda's been able to beat everyone down no matter what. You know, no one can take a stand against her because she would just completely obliterate them. Um, and then, you know, this actress playing Agatha as well. Uh, God, I can't remember her name. Catherine Hahn. Catherine Hahn. Yep. Uh, so I've seen her in plenty of other things. And I think she was the perfect choice for this. She's so good at that sinister laugh and smile and completely making you oblivious to that through the show until that point. Um, so, you know, I think that. I think it was a really cool reveal. I think that the reveal itself maybe went a little bit overboard, um, making it more about her than about Wanda at that point. But then it started to make sense in the finale, I think. Right. I I mean, you know, obviously this show in in many ways is about making um, Scarlet Witch actually Scarlet Witch. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, having her in this show, I think, makes complete sense. I will say, as somebody who doesn't really know Marvel comics like that, you know, I don't have a depth in Marvel comics. You know, I'm just versed in the MCU. I couldn't care less. Like, I mean, it Mm -hmm. it didn't come off as anything I should care about. It was like, okay, Agatha. So, you know, like, I, I think... Just from that experience of being somebody who doesn't know the Marvel comics, they didn't do a good enough job of explaining this in a way that I could, I should feel like I should care at all. And then mm-hmm. again, Agatha just becomes an accessory to something else, which is the awakening of Scarlet Witch. In, and, and so it's like she's a tool for something else. She's not really important in and of herself. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of disappointing to me that she wouldn't mean something more than than that. So I I do think that even though it's it's good for the plot, 
it's not necessarily good in any character way because I don't come up with I don't come across for me personally not being a super Marvel fan caring about her character like mm-hmm. okay um you know she's just a tool to get Wanda from point A to point B mm-hmm. which is a little bit disappointing that you know you wouldn't kind of like care about her character in any other way shape or form um and again, I think it's a disadvantage in the writing of the show that maybe we don't spend more time getting to the point quicker so we could spend more time with building up this villain, this quote-unquote villain, in a way that would make us understand and are more sympathetic to or feel something more about other than, oh, okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I will say I think that they could have alluded some to that more earlier in the show rather than suddenly doing the reveal and it's to an audience that has no previous conception of who she is. So then when they say, right, haha, it was Agatha all along. You're like, but wait, who's Agatha? It, that's exactly what my thought. I like, okay, so who's Agatha? Right. You're like, oh, wow. Yep. I'm terrified. I'm shaking in my boots. Who's Agatha? <laughs> yep. So exactly. yeah, I, I get it from that point too. So yeah, yeah, I think that they could have given her some motivations and also tried doing some teasing of her being up to something earlier. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think that would have been nice. And, and you know, talking through all this, obviously the show is called WandaVision, but what Paul Bettany has to do in this move and this show is zip like he doesn't really get a ton to do when i think about it which is also disappointing because he's amazing i love paul bettany i loved his vision in the movies i thought he was really fun but here he's just kind of relegated to the side of like trying to figure out this mystery but he's it's never super interesting which is so disappointing to me oh see i felt the opposite hmm why why did you? Yeah, well, what that stood? Way? I, well, I, I mean that I, I just as I said, like I just don't feel like he really has anything to do in the show. I mean, other than be suspicious, mm-hmm. like I um, and it's actually not till that moment where he's having the conversation with his other self that it, something actually interesting is happening to him, you know, um, mm-hmm. and coming to the realization obviously that he's not really a thing he's just a figment basically of her imagination um Mm -hmm. and in that way doesn't necessarily truly exist is that was all really interesting but it happens in that one moment truly when he's face to face with his alter ego Mm -hmm. um and that's where it was really interesting but i mean we spent like eight episodes with him just not having a ton to really do I felt like so. So I do want to remind you, though, the two other things that you didn't mention that maybe will change your mind a little bit. But um, he's the one that starts to figure out that things are not real because um, he is confused by um, people acting so similarly And that's when he decides to use the power of the Mind Stone to remove Wanda's control over Mm -hmm. someone and realized that she's controlling everyone. So he does that 
reveal, which is huge. Um, and then also when he and Wanda, when he finally confronts her about it, and he starts to get more and more high pitched, and they're both floating suddenly because they're so angry. And, you know, it's, it's a genuine two husband and wife moment, I feel mm -hmm. like of you're lying to me, to my face and telling me you're not and we don't do that mm -hmm. to each other. Tell me what's going on. So it, that to me made him more necessary. Yeah, and it, it's not that I don't think he's necessary at all. Okay. I mean, obviously, he's completely necessary to the show. It's just that I just felt like he doesn't, you know, he's second in the name to the mm -hmm. show. And I just, I didn't, I wasn't enamored with what he gets to do in the show. Um, and yeah, I mean, he does, you know, begin to discover, you know, that things are wrong and everything, um, which I think is cool and, and you know, in, in line with his character to be able to, you know, understand that things aren't right. Um, but I, it wasn't something that I found overly exciting personally um, mm -hmm. as, a, as for the character to do. Um, which, yeah. you know, um, was a little bit disappointing for me personally. So, because I do, I, I have enjoyed the vision character. I thought it was really interesting because he is that discussion of the AI, you know, the Pinocchio basically becoming human, you know? Mm -hmm. So I get that too, though. It, yeah. That like you like the character so much you wanted him to get more to do. Mm -hmm. Yes, that, yeah, that's what I've been trying to say. So thank you for making me sound smarter. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, yeah, when he did the, the magic show and you know, that kind of stuff, it was kind of a bummer because it felt so much about the joke, but I, it, at least to a little bit of that, I'm glad you mentioned Knight's Tale because it reminded me of him playing Jeffrey Chaucer in Knight's Tale. Mm -hmm. And that made me happy. <laughs> excellent. Excellent movie. So, um, so this is the interest. This is the interesting part. Obviously, this show is called WandaVision, and this show is really a, and mainly, I would say, about Wanda and her her pain. Mm -hmm. And we we find out. Um, and I really appreciated where they were gonna where they were kind of going with that. Um, but I will say, when they got to the end with Wanda. This show, I legitimately became angry. Like, hmm. I haven't been angry at a show in a long time. But for them, in the end with Wanda, to play her like she's the victim. And when she's the one who put people through God knows how long, through mental hell. Mm -hmm. Maybe not intentionally, but she still did. Mm -hmm. And then play her like she's the victim here was the biggest load of BS I've ever seen in a show, ever. I was angry, angry, angry. Like, I can't tell you how angry. Because that was like, that is so wrong. When we talk about comic book characters and the lack of consequences or anything, there were absolutely zero consequences to her actions here. And again, they treated her like she was the one that we should feel sorry for. 
No, I'm sorry. She's the one who should be put in jail right now for what she did. Like, mm-hmm. or something. It was horrendous. I could not be more pissed. I wasn't that, to that degree of upset. Um, but I definitely agree with you that she, I thought she was going to have some consequences when suddenly Agatha removed everyone's mind control mm-hmm. and they're all approaching her. And that's a good thing because she does need to face yes. her problems. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's the biggest thing that they let go that should have been the point of the show is that grief happens to everyone at some point. It just is a natural part of life that we have to deal with at some point and that not dealing with it is what caused all of her problems in the first place. Not that grief isn't terrible. It's just that you have to decide at some point that you're going to continue living mm-hmm. for a reason. Yep. And yeah. to get to get through it, but still remember what you lost. And mm. this disables her from doing that. Mm-hmm. So uh, well, yeah, and, and let's let's just not even discuss. Uh, well, let's discuss the fact that <laughs> that she this could be a beautiful way to to talk about mental health in connection with grief and loss. Mm-hmm. And we never even touch that either. And instead, no, we make her feel like everybody should feel sorry for her for what she gave up. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. Like, no, she are, needed to. No, we're not going to play the victim card here for somebody who literally put through people through mental hell for, again, who knows how long. Right. She was keeping everyone else in that fake town from their families in order to have yes. her perfect yes. world. Yep. Yep. She, she needed basically consequences. made them slaves. Yeah. To her will. I and mean, then she no just gets to, to walk away and possibly be better off. But, you know, all of these people are left there trying to figure out now what to do. Um, mm-hmm. She should have, at the very least, had an apology to yeah. all of those people. Um, and I think that the way she said goodbye to the kids should have been different. You know, like mm-hmm. she she had fake children with vision in this world. Um, There was no, um, for me, conclusion to her having to finally accept her loss. Yep. So I completely agree. It's like, she's still even holding on that now vision is going to come back. Yeah. Again, like there's all the wrong, it, it it reminds me of how pissed I get at (laughs) the little mermaid, right? Like, the Little Mermaid uh, becomes the character who, like, almost gets everybody killed because she runs away and she sells her soul to the devil, basically, and her entire world almost gets destroyed uh, because she's a bratty teenage girl. And and then in the end, she gets everything she wants with zero consequences and never learned a lesson. Like, That's my favorite Disney movie, Matt. <laughs> But it, it drives me crazy. It, it, but this is the same thing. She's like an evil little mermaid. 
Um, but you know, I do agree with you. She needed consequences. I mean, it just it leaves the biggest premise of the show unsolved to not have her finally accept. Yes, I've lost my brother, my parents, and the love of my life, but I'm still here. What am I going to do to make my life better now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think would have been so much more of a powerful message than, well, I had to give up my fake world for everybody else. I am the victim still. Hopefully, Vision will come back for real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just, I honestly could not agree more. Um, and and I think what it does is that um, it really hurts the theme of grief and loss as a theme in the mm-hmm. show. It It really... It kind of destroys it um, because it doesn't really play with those things well um, and truly because, it again, she never comes to – she never truly comes face-to-face with her grief, embraces it, and moves forward. You know, right. um, there's a – and I'm going to make a Star Trek V here, re- reference here for John Mills, but, you know, there in, in that movie um, – there's a character who who says they can take away people's pain. And Kirk tells that character, no, I need my pain. My pain is what makes me who I am. And mm-hmm. in many ways, grief and loss, and any in many shapes and forms, defines who we are. And usually, it's grief and loss that help us learn and grow because of either decisions we've made or the things we've experienced. And we need that experience to help mold us and make us into better people, right? We, mm-hmm. we, we need our pain. We need to remember our pain. But then we need to find a way to grow because of that. And, and mm-hmm. he or she never does that. And it's really disappointing um, to see her never embrace the pain, acknowledge it, and then find a way to grow from it. And and I'm going to I agree, but I'm also going to add to that. I thought that they were going to go that route and actually make her confront things when the dog died and she was going to explain to her kids that right. she can't just bring everybody back from the dead. And that was the perfect opportunity to have a teachable moment and then for her to yep. learn from it too and to move on and then they didn't. And that was a bummer. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with you. Uh, yeah. you. I think you nailed it. And that's a great example of a place where, again, you could have really done that. So uh, I guess the last thing we should talk about is, I guess, the stingers at the mm-hmm. end of the series. Um, they were supposedly supposed to break the internet. Um, I find the internet unbroken. Yeah. And I think it's because you and I both already kind of already said the the bringing in of Photon, I think it was not the right timing, even though she's really cool. Um, I think that they threw too many things at the wall all at the same time, trying to fit them into this show. And uh, it felt like they could have possibly waited and done that later. Um so, although it's interesting, it didn't hit me with the fascination like some of the past ones at the end of the films have done. Well, and I mean, 
we're all expecting it to be somebody cool, like Doctor Strange. But no, mm-hmm. they bring in one of those lame aliens from Captain, Captain Marvel, Marvel to say, oh, and, and we all know she's talking about Fury, right? Like, oh, you know, we want to talk to you. Uh, okay. But I forgot who and, those people were. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which is another problem, which they're calling back to things to which you have had to have seen all of these Marvel things to actually make it make a difference. And then lastly, um, we just have her studying the book. You know, and we know if if you know anything about what's coming, you know that you've got Doctor Strange coming uh, and that's going to be a whole big thing about the uh, multiverse. Okay, Mm -hmm. but it's like if you really do kind of want to break the Internet or at least attempt to break the Internet, at least bring Doctor Strange into things here like yeah. that was the rumor that we was gonna be like i was just so absolutely disappointed like i had so many expectations and like the the mandalorian broke the internet when you had the dark saber show up right like mm-hmm. it was just like what and well, then when you first had the child show up because yeah, if you know exactly. anything about Episode yoda one. yes exactly yeah. and then uh end of season two what happens luke shows up and everybody's like what you know, mm-hmm. like we—they really knew how to play the fandom and and the general audience. Here again, I just feel like this is—I—I—I I, I even tweeted. I was like, "Really? That's it? That's the lamest thing I've seen in a long time." Like it did yeah. nothing for anyone, really. But it's and, crazy though, because usually at the end of every Marvel film, that was the thing you're holding your breath for. They usually yes, did a great job yes. at that. <laughs> and and all I wanted to do was to play that clip of Cap going. So, you waited all this time, you know, like, <laughs> and you got nothing. Um, <laughs> so, one last thing I do have to ask you, and. Uh, before we get to the ratings here, I felt like in the end, this show feels like filler in the worst way. Like, we're just doing a few little things here to set up what's coming next. But nothing really of consequence happened here, other than her becoming Scarlet Witch. Mm-hmm. Truly. Which, you could have found a different way to do other than me sitting down for six hours to watch a show. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I disagree a little bit. I, you know, still found some things meaningful out of it. But I do agree with you that there are a lot of things that were unnecessarily thrown in here and things that they tried to do a big reveal of that didn't, have any weight to them in the first place so they weren't going to be a big deal um so it it definitely left me wanting more than we got yeah well i am really interested because i feel like you're slightly more positive than i am and so i'm i'm mm-hmm. really wondering where you kind of do come down on your ratings for wandavision so after really thinking about it you know i um my number has gone down a little bit off of my initial excitement over it um because when i looked at the the facts about it like you and i have discussed too 
there are some things that definitely should have been done differently. Um, and thinking about rewatchability, I'm not sure when I would go back through and we rewatch all of it or even, you know, rewatch the seven episodes that I liked the most. <laughs> so um, I would say that I ultimately give it like a three and a half out of five magical pulse wave things. Because <laughs> I thought those were cool looking. Um, you know, like yeah. the purple or the red for her. Um, because I really wanted them to actually make her deal with her grief. Um, I wanted there to be less um, involvement of all of these other storylines that really didn't matter to what we were trying to deal with with Wanda. Mm. Um, and I think that having the cameos of like Jimmy Woo didn't really matter. So, you know, I wish yeah. there had been more focus on the Wanda and Vision storyline. And I wish that they had, like you were saying in the end, um, had her actually not be the victim, apologize for what she did to all of these people and accept her loss and move on in a positive mm way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, uh, as we were talking, my rating went down half a star. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I realized specifically how angry I was at this show. And it's disappointing. Um, now, I do hold out hope. I uh, hope people all uh, hear this. I do hold out a huge amount of hope for Falcon and Winter Soldier. Mm -hmm. I loved those characters. That I The Captain America movies are my favorite of the Marvel series. And the, their seriousness and, and the way that they've always dealt with the subject matter, I can't wait to see how they deal with that but this show is a complete bust for me for the most part and I, I do think um, only the biggest of Marvel fans can can really enjoy this show in a way that they could give it four five stars you know it, it's just it's not good television uh, and part of that is that we talked about one you have to know a ton of backstory to, to enjoy it in the first place and two it just wastes too much time, and mm -hmm. that's disappointing. And it's disappointing in the sense because Star Wars with The Mandalorian showed us exactly how to make a television show that honored everything that's come before and comes afterwards, you know, and at the same time is a show that anybody could just dive into and enjoy. And so hopefully... Falcon and Winter Soldier will be a different story. Um, you know, I, I get the feeling we'll probably, it'll still be a show where you've had to have watched everything, but hopefully it's just a, a better show in the end. So, yeah, yeah. two out of five, um, yeah, two out of five bad magic tricks for me. So, <laughs> um, now I'm really excited, though, to, to hear what you're going to recommend to everybody this week, Christy. Uh, so actually, I've got something uh, a little bit blast from the past. I was reminded the other day of a movie that I really enjoyed that didn't get as much love, I think, as some others. Um, so it's the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. And nice. Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. Yes. Because um, it not only introduced Gwen Stacy, finally 
who was in the Spider-Man comics, um, but also just a completely different take on the character than we had with Tobey Maguire, which I really now at this point am like, he was the worst one. Um, and Tom Holland is really cool in, in the role too, but it's still, I think that Andrew Garfield is my favorite. Um, and in particular, the one um, with the death of Gwen Stacy, because it's so profound um, and they do actually leave her dead um, in the movies. And I think it, my favorite scene still is when he is um, they've technically broken up and he's meeting her at a park at night. And there's this beautiful instrumental music that plays. It's a band called Phosphorescent. And they film uh, in a really cool way from above him crossing traffic. Um, and he takes like a couple steps forward and a couple steps back and then keeps going. And it's just a really cool combination of the music, the filming style and the emotion of that moment. And then finding out the two actors are actually dating at the time. Um, it's just a beautiful movie. So I, I highly recommend rewatching if you haven't seen them in a while or watching them for the first time, the Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider-Man movies. Nice, nice. Well, knowing that, Christy, and I realize we've never covered those on the 602 Club, so we're going to have mm-hmm. to add them to the schedule this year. So Yes. Yeah, very nice. Because um, it's been a while since I've seen them, but I remember being... I, especially with the first one, I really I enjoyed it, and I thought Andrew Garfield was a great Spider-Man. So I guess we spoiled it for people already, but <laughs> I'm interested to go back to those now and and check them out. So great recommendation. Now uh, I have a recommendation for everyone. Um, it's something I've been meaning to watch on Netflix. I, I finally, uh, you know. Turned it on the other day, and it's a movie called The Professor and the Madman. It is about the creation of the Oxford English Dictionary, which does not seem like an interesting subject. <laughs> and yet, it is an incredibly beautiful movie about the power of forgiveness. And I, be honest, I cried quite a few times in this film it was gorgeous it's wonderful it's uplifting it's heartfelt it is a fantastic movie and i highly recommend it to anyone who is needing a film to be reminded of the beauty that can be humanity um, when we are at our best selves and so yes please go watch the professor and the madman but Christy, uh, if people want to catch up with you and talk to you about WandaVision or your recommendation or anything else that uh, they got going on, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And I am also sometimes in the Babel Conference on Facebook. And then, of course, I do another show in addition to 602 Club called Sabres and Spells with my good friend Amanda DeFonzo. And uh, we'll be talking about a little bit of WandaVision ourselves, but from a different perspective, um, purely focusing on the mental health aspect of the show. And then also we're going to be doing some interesting look back at some old movies from our childhood. Like I'm going to watch Labyrinth for the first time ever. Nice. We're going to talk about never ending story, all of that, you know, weird stuff that's now on streaming. So um, check out Sabres and Spells. We're on Instagram and Twitter as well at that name. And you could find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing 02. 
Uh, I'm here on the network, not only doing the 602 Club, but you can find me doing Snyder Cuts with John Mills as we've been talking through every single thing that Zack Snyder has directed on the way to not only his Justice League, but he's got Army of the Dead coming out as well. And so it's been so much fun. Um, John has kind of been the Snyder agnostic, and I've been more of the fan, and we've tried to cover everything as fairly as possible. I will say up to this point, um, John is becoming more of a Snyder fan. So it's been such a fascinating journey, and I hope that you will check it out. Honestly, we've had a blast. So you can find that. Of course, I'm doing Literary Treks in the Orb. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek, and then the Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, I do Owl Post with Drea Kaufman, where we are finishing the Harry Potter series. We've been walking through that one chapter at a time. And then I do Aggressive Negotiations, which is a Star Wars podcast, and that is where John Mills and I just get together and talk about something interesting that we've been thinking about in the Star Wars universe. So thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Thank <laughs> you.